Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Since the pandemic and public health emergency began, enrollment in Medicaid CHIP has increased by 12 million or 16.8%. When the public health emergency ends, states will have up to 12 months to return to normal eligibility and enrollment operations. With millions of Medicaid recipients facing redetermination, outdated technologies, and labor-intensive processes will be insufficient to meet the challenge. Studies project that more than 15 million individuals could potentially lose coverage if states and healthcare organizations are not adequately prepared. Today, I'm joined by Nate Allen, Senior Vice President and Eligibility Practice Leader at First Source, to discuss how hospitals and health systems can prepare for a historic Medicaid redetermination surge. Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm uh, happy to be here. We're happy to have you, Nate. And so for those that may not be familiar with First Source, could you tell us a little bit about what you do there? Yeah, sure. So First Source is a, um, a global BPO, um, and a segment of our business um, is focused on healthcare. We um, have been in the healthcare industry for over 30 years, working both um, with hospitals and uh, payers, doing a variety of different services. On the hospital side, we really focus on end-to-end revenue cycle uh, management. Um, and in my role as SVP, uh, I'm really focused on the Medicaid eligibility and enrollment segment of our business. Um, and the redetermination situation has really been something I spent a lot of time focusing on. So I, uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you more about it today. Yeah, looking forward to digging into this. So um, first off, why don't we begin? Could you explain to us uh, what Medicaid redetermination is and, and why it will be especially significant this year? Yeah, so when someone gets enrolled in Medicaid, um, they don't just stay on the program forever. Um, typically, states will go through a process called redetermination on a 12-month basis. Um, there are some situations that uh, that may require it to happen sooner than that, but generally speaking, 12 months is um, when this typically happens. And um, that, that situation requires for the Medicaid recipient to basically re-verify that they still qualify for the program. So they're um, having to, to submit updated proof of income statements, things like that, to prove that they still qualify for Medicaid. Um, it's a way for states to ensure that, you know, someone that maybe had a situation that, that improved and maybe they no longer qualify for Medicaid, um, do not continue to uh, stay on the, the program, um, really focusing it for the folks that uh, generally um you know, don't have the means to pay for uh, private insurance. And Nate, how has the pandemic um, public health emergency impacted Medicaid enrollment? Yeah, it's been significant. You know, the, the numbers that you read um, uh, are, are telling. And, you know, prior to the, the pandemic, um, Medicaid was actually going down, the, the, the volume of the Medicaid recipients. Since then, um, you know, I think you mentioned a 16.8% increase. Um, and, and looking at those numbers, um, that ties up to um, roughly 87 million people as of January 22nd that were on Medicaid, which would represent approximately 25% of the population in the United States. Um, the, the 
public health emergency, or PHE as it's referred to, um, has been significant to the situation because when that was announced in January of 2020, um, the federal government basically told states that they were suspending the redetermination. So what's happened is over the course of the past two plus years, people that are on Medicaid have not gone through that redetermination period, meaning there could be people that no longer qualify for Medicaid that have remained on because they've not been through that, that process. Um, and it just continues to be extended, you know, as the PHE continues to be extended, that volume of Medicaid recipients just continues to increase. So when the PHE does end, how is that going to impact coverage for these people? Well, as you said, um, 15 million people based on an urban Institute study towards the end of 2021 are estimated to lose their coverage. Um, as the PHE continues to be extended, that number will only rise. Um, you may have seen, um, that the PHE was recently extended to expire on July 15th. Um, certainly, um, you know, that's a realistic date that, uh, that we're looking at, but, um, you know, it's been extended, I think 10 times. So it's very, um, I don't want to say it's likely, but it, it, it very well could be extended again. There's a lot of different factors that, that play into that. Um, so again, as it gets extended, um, more and more people stay on Medicaid. If it is um, set to expire on July 15th, and that date does end the PHE, what the federal government has told states is that they will be given a 60-day notice. Um, and at that point, um, the states would need to start engaging with their uh, Medicaid recipients, with their, their population, their Medicaid population, to start notifying them that the redetermination period is going to start again. Um, and again, right now, that would be scheduled for July 15th. So um, right around mid-May is when we would expect, if that, if that is going to be the date, um, that we would expect the, the federal government to start telling states and, and giving them that 60-day notice. And we'll note just for the audience, of course, we, we record these episodes a bit ahead of time, so it's entirely likely uh, that something could change uh, by the time this airs, but this is the best that we have uh, right now or what we know. Um, Nate, what are some of the best practices uh, available for educating beneficiaries on their eligibility? You know, this, this is a, a very interesting topic and it varies from state to state. So, um, I I'll, I'll speak, you know, more broadly. Um, typically what you'll find is that states are engaging with, um, their, their Medicaid population via, you know, hard copy mail. Um, as we all know, those can be effective uh, methods of communicating, but um, in today's day and age, um, you know, really using a more virtual or excuse me, a digital strategy um, is really the, the best way to do it. And, and what I mean by that is a multi-channel communication, whether it be via text, um, via phone, via uh, access to a microsite that um, the Medicaid recipient can, can navigate to and, and answer questions. Um, that's really what we are finding to be the best way to communicate with this population. Um, and as part of that, you know, one of the big concerns is the fact that, you know, states haven't had communication with these folks for two years in, in many cases. So as we all know, people move around and it can be a transient population. So running, um, you know, contact verification, making sure that the telephone numbers that we have on file um, are, are accurate, making sure that um, you know, their, their cell phones so that you can uh, digitally engage with these folks, um, finding ways to uh, attain digital consent to text, 
these are all uh, things that we're working very closely with um, different uh, hospitals and uh, MCOs to make sure that uh, they are engaging with this population in, in the right way. What can organizations, either providers or payers, do to help individuals maintain coverage? Yeah, again, it's um, it's going to vary based on state. Um, there are states out there that are allowing MCOs to have a very active approach with their membership. Um, and what I mean by that is um, there are states that are allowing the MCO to represent uh, that member. So they're, they're not only educating and, and uh, outreaching to the, the member, but also taking a high-touch advocacy approach to um, helping the member go through the re-enrollment process if they need that. Um, there's always going to be a segment of the population that's going to be um, proactive and, and do what they need to do. But then there's going to be folks that just maybe are confused or not sure how to do it. So um, in, in states that, al- that are allowing MCOs to do that, um, that's really the best, uh, the best approach or the best way to ensure that those members um, and those Medicaid recipients are, are able to stay on. Um, in other states that you're not able to do that, um, you still want to outreach. You still want to digitally engage with these folks um, and, and maybe provide a light touch advocacy. And what I mean by that is have people available to walk them through the process. If, if you can't do it for them, then, then holding their hand through the process becomes vital um, in making sure that they're taking the steps necessary uh, to maintaining their coverage. Great advice, Nate. And if someone wanted to get in touch with you or find out more about First Source, where can they go? Yeah, I would encourage, um, you can always go to firstsource.com, but if you're really specifically looking for information on the redeterminations, if you Google search First Source redetermination, uh, it'll take you to a landing page that has um, all kinds of literature that we've put out about this topic and some of the solutions that uh, that I've talked through. Um, and I can also be reached directly at Nathan, N-A-T-H-A-N dot Allen, A-L-L-E-N at firstsource.com. Nate Allen, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me, Mike. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.